Hello to all of you listening to this message. My name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. For those of you that are new, I just briefly want to mention to you that I am here seeking to speak out of the Spirit of God as the oracles of God, what he would be saying to you as an individual and to the corporate body of Christ around the world for this particular hour and time. In other words, I am seeking to speak prophetically what the Spirit would be saying to the churches. And so I want to briefly share with you from the passages that God has led me to recently. Basically, I just meditate for about 15 minutes to a half an hour and then I will preach the message from the brief notes that I have made. And today, I have a few passages that I have not ministered from since the last time I shared, which was on Luke chapter 8. So today, I briefly want to mention to you the passages that I want to touch on, and I'm prayerful and hopeful I can have this message a lot shorter. I don't want to go any longer than 30 minutes on the message. Um, Although it's very easy for me to preach for three hours because of all that has been given to me to share as a gift from God to you. First of all, I want to go to John chapter 13, and then we will be touching on Deuteronomy 3 a bit, and then 1 John chapter 3. In John chapter 13, we have the Lord having the last supper with the disciples and the betrayal, the beginning of his betrayal by Judas. And I'm going to read a few of the verses, not all the verses in these passages for time. And so we start in verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. 
So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, just got to go down and turn the page. He said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Blessed you are if you do these things. If you know these things. If you really know that I am your master and Lord. And that my heart is to show my love to you by serving you in total humility. How much more blessed will you be if you do as I do? And you can't do as the master just did here in washing the disciples' feet if you do not have the true essence of love behind what you're doing. People know when someone's putting on a show and where, when it's a mere outward ritual performance before God, God knows. And we also as individuals can sense when there's genuine love in a person's heart towards us. And so it's possible to do what the Lord is commanding his disciples to do here. And obviously, also all that would be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is possible even to make a ritual out of this without having the true essence behind it so that in actual reality, we are not doing what the Lord is saying we should do because when he's talking about doing he's talking about doing not just with our mind but with our heart and our whole being that which is truly being done must come from the heart or it is not really being done it is merely an outward shell without the essence of what the outward shell represents and God is calling us as his people in this day and age to overcome the divisions that are between us in the body of Christ, in our close and intimate relationships with one another first. Remember, the ones that really can wound us the most are the ones that are closest friends. And often the trials that God will allow in our lives will involve those that mean a lot to us, that have become close friends to us, and that we experience either misunderstanding or rejection from. This was the experience of King David, 
who experienced the very ones that he joyfully went into the house of God with and had such tremendous fellowship with, turn against him and actually seek his life. And we know the account of Saul, that out of jealousy for his own glory, pursued King David. God is calling us as his people to have a heart that is like the heart of King David, whom the Lord said he's found a man after his own heart. And when we look at the life of King David, we see that he never sought position or status or identity in relationship with people looking up to him. His desire was one thing. He said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. He experienced the painful death of rejection, of dying to the things of this world, and coming into a greater and greater identity with God through those trials. This brings us out of those things that rob us from the love of God. It is our identity in the things that are not eternal, especially relationships with our close friends, that often can rob us of our relationship with God. Now I had a passage of scripture recently that by the casting of Lot, I was given twice. And I'm just going to skim back to where I was given that passage. And it was Second Chronicles 24 on September the 15th, and I received that again by the casting of Lot. And this is the account of Joash, the little child that was protected by the high priest from that wicked queen that was a, such that brought such terrible apostasy upon the nation of Israel and in the account of Joash we see that he lived a righteous life as long as the high priest was alive and i'm trying to remember his name it's something like Jehoiada the high priest, as long as he was alive and there with him as king, and as he continued to become a mature young man, he started as king only at around, I believe it was 12 years old, and then now he's in his 20s or so on. But there comes a point in the life of Joash as a king where he does all of these wonderful things and pleases God with a righteous life, where when the high priest dies he begins to take the advice of those he has close affinity with in northern Israel. And then when he's reproved by the prophets for compromising with them, he actually brings, throws them into prison and so on. And, but the thing that happened to him was that he had his identity more in his relationship with Joash the high priest 
or Jehoiada the high priest. And with those that were his friends, they meant more to him than his relationship with God. And so he experienced the severe judgment of God come upon his life. In the life of Joas, we see the root and principle of apostasy from truth. The root cause is the failure to enter into growth in the fear of God because acceptance and identity and leadership is allowed to be above acceptance and identity in God. Because leadership fails to sever, to severely warn and reprove the children and the sheep in order to cut off the tendency to look up too highly to them rather than to God. It is important that leadership does not allow themselves to be put on a pedestal so that people's identity become more in them. It's such a natural tendency in the sheep to have their identity, especially if the leader is strong. And I have seen this in churches where the leader is very anointed. He prays much. He speaks with authority. And the presence of God is there. And yet there is not the humility in that leader to stop the sheep from putting their identity too much in him. And in this passage, in John 13, the Lord is calling us into a relationship where out of the fear of God we learn to come into such a relationship with God that we are dead to the acceptance of others and what people think about us. And that I'm talking about especially is true of those that are the dearest and closest to us. We must be willing to be misunderstood to experience rejection by those that are closest to us so that our identity is fully in God. But what will allow that is when we learn to practice and exercise entering into the genuine fear of God. I'm not here in this passage to preach on the fear of God, but I'm writing an in-depth book on that. But what I want to point out here is that the fear of God is that acknowledgement in God of his holiness, that God will not tolerate that which is destructive, that has the principle of corruption in it. His love is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to the love. And that results in serious consequences. That also results in the fact that he will speak words that are severe into our lives, words of reproof that may even cause us to feel rebellion or will allow trials to purify us that will cause us to question God and to become and be tempted to rebel at the consequences of God's holiness. You see, the consequences of the curse upon the world and all the suffering we see around us is because God is holy and he will not tolerate sin. If he did, he would become corrupt and he would no longer be God. 
because corruption cannot contain the very source of life and unlimited life and power without being corrupted by it or without it being it, unlimited power and life being dissipated by the corruption. And so the fear of God is that choice to acknowledge the holiness of God that his judgments are righteous even when they are severe towards us and to see that we are unworthy of his mercy but that God is good because if he wasn't holy there would be corruption and if he wasn't holy there wouldn't be wholeness because wholeness cannot be where there is corruption within it it is out of wholeness that springs forth ultimate beauty. And so King David cries out of acknowledging the holiness of God that his desire is to behold the beauty of the Lord all the days of his life. But what causes us to lose sight of the wholeness and the beauty of God is rebellion towards the consequences of God's holiness in our heart and in what we observe in the world around us. And it has been that way from the beginning of time. Even Nimrod, there are writings in Josephus that quote him as saying, because of the flood, I will take rebellion against God. And he started the, Sumer the first civilization, the Sumerians, which was very sophisticated, powerful civilization, but a system that was in total rebellion against God. Now in this passage here, Christ is calling us as his people to practice not only reverence and respect towards him as the master and the Lord, but towards one another. Because when we really see the beauty of God's holiness, there is reciprocation of the recognition of God's goodness in the fact that out of that holiness is the foundation from which springs the recognition of that have, since God is good, he has provided a way of mercy and a forgiveness which can only be concluded in the fact that God alone can save us and that therefore he alone could possibly be a perfect atoning sacrifice. Now, I can't get into all of that. That's an in-depth teaching. But it is out of acknowledging the holiness of God that we recognize the goodness of God when we rightly acknowledge and we are reciprocated to the holiness of God. And then out of recognition of the goodness of God, we acknowledge that it is only in God that is salvation. In God the Father, there is and in the Son, which is the full expression of the Father, ruling in the time and space realm, there has been revealed his perfect atoning sacrifice in Jesus Christ, the one and only full expression of God, or Son of God, poured out in his love, in his blood, and his broken body on the cross for you, who humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, think of it. He humbled himself more than you and suffered more than you ever will suffer so that you could be reconciled to God. And when we see that God is these two things are in that ultimate perfection of love, a love that has such integrity that will not tolerate what is contrary to love, 
and that from that foundation can be so ultimate that it is expressed in God himself becoming a perfect atoning sacrifice that is humbled more than you, a mere creature, and suffers more than you, a mere creature, because of such love that he wants you to be part of his bride, that he wants his bride. When we really have a revelation and a turning in our heart of appreciation through waiting on God and seeking on God, we are fulfilling what Christ said in another passage of Scripture in John. He said, even as I live by the Father, so you also should have the same relationship with me by eating and drinking of my flesh and blood. It is in the reciprocation of that perfect atoning sacrifice which is the full crystallization of God's love to us and of cleansing and atonement back to God when we receive it. It is as it says in the word of God, as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so are we to walk in him. It is in this that there is the reciprocative abiding relationship. And in the fear of God, it is a choice to rightly recognize God for the reality of who he is, which is in his holiness and in his mercy towards us and grace and receive it. And only that can be a recognition of what is ultimately trustworthy that will allow us to respond in our spirit and soul in a hand that is removed from being a clenched fist of rebellion to being broken of its pride into surrender to receive the mercy of God, which cannot be even perceived unless we first recognize the holiness of God and our undoneness in the light of his holiness. And God is wanting us out of that relationship with him to die to putting identity more in our relationships with one another. What did Christ say in 1 John? He said, If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. The only way we will do the will of God is when we learn to die to the world. And part of learning to die to the world is learning out of our relationship that is reciprocative, out of the fear of God, in the recognition of God's holiness and therein the mercy and grace of God towards us, is to show that same love and mercy towards one another. And if we have really perceived the greatness of God's love, of his mercy and his grace towards us, how can it be possible that we would not show that same love and mercy towards one another? And the Lord is saying that it is important for us to practice this out of a true heart towards one another. And that one way to do that is to wash one another's feet, to literally wash one another's feet. 
Now, if in your church there are people that are embarrassed because their feet don't look good or whatever else, well, polish one another's shoes. But let's learn to do things that facilitate entering into the oneness that God wants us to have, not only with him, but obviously with one another. It is entering into such oneness that breaks the hardness that tends to collect around all of our hearts in a world that is so busy and designed to take us away from God with busyness and concerns of insecurities that motivate us out of our own ways in independence from God. Reason there is so much divorce and adultery in the world is because there is so much of a tendency for us to so easily be drawn aside by the gods of materialism, of pleasure, of amusement, of idleness. When we're in a true love relationship with God, we don't want to waste our time. We want every moment to be an expression of love for him. As the word of God says, we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. So this hardness collects in our hearts because we spend more time concerned about watching games and sports than spending time in a relationship with God and so on. And then we wonder why there's divorce and there's hardness and there's divisions in the body of Christ. We need to break up the follow ground. And the way we do that is by learning to humble ourselves before one another and to share one another's faults that we may be healed, as the Word of God says. I will never forget a lady coming up to me and telling me how she was about to divorce her husband. And the Lord was challenging her to go to him and to wash his feet with a towel, and she kept resisting. Finally, she did it. And the husband said, no, no, no. And he started to cry, don't do that. But she did it. And he broke down in tears, and she broke down in tears. And the hardness was broken, and they were reconciled. She was bothered that her husband was so in love with the world. That touched him, and he was changed because someone was willing to humble themselves as Christ has done to us. And that is what we should be seeking. We shouldn't have any desire for recognition by others or anything of this world. We should have our lives dead and hid with Christ and God as the word of God calls us to be. And so I am encouraging you, brothers and sisters, though I didn't get to any of the other passages, this is what God is wanting the body of Christ to begin to enter into, is a deep oneness by practicing these things that the Lord so clearly commanded us to practice. And so I am encouraging you this day to hear what God would say to you as an individual so that you can truly love those that are dearest to you by being truthful to them because the word of God says faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The evidence that our identity is in God is that we do not compromise with those tendencies of compromise in our closest relationships. But we enter in to a truthfulness and humility before one another. May we receive one another as Christ received us. He commands us to receive one another as he received us as sinners. And conquer those hardened, 
barriers of denominational division where we denominate one another in our minds and as corporate bodies so that we don't receive one another on the same level. This person is categorized this way and another person is categorized this way. And so one is closer and the other is not. Oh, I could share much more, but I will leave it at that for this message.